Welcome to another episode of Operation Limitless. I'm Brett Lichtenberg here with Team Limitless, which is Bill Schiffenauer, Sal Rosano, our, our other cohort in crime. Um, Mark Peterson is teaching a class right now on carving. He's doing some really cool stuff. And today we have the pleasure of being in the studio with a longtime jazz bear, charity master, uh, just all around great guy, Mr. John Aspie. So, John, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, you guys. This is awesome. <laughs> and I'm going to turn a little time over to Bill because you guys are long-term friends and let Bill kind of kick it off for us today. Morning, Bill. Guten Morgen. <laughs> so, Charity Master, huh? Wow. A, a, I, I need to get, how do I get one of those? Charity Master. I'm getting the logo embroidered. <laughs> <laughs> 13th degree Charity Master. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, hey, John, thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, you know, some of you may or may not know, John and I have been pretty good friends, technically, since 2002. Um, John, I had the honor after the 2002 Olympics, uh, when I was introduced in the middle of a jazz game, um, I had the honor of John riding me out on his Harley in the middle of, like, probably one of the, I mean, loudest crowd I've ever heard of, which is really, really cool. Um, and that was just a lot of fun. And uh, we we disconnected for a few years, but then we reconnected through a mutual friend, and now we're inseparable. Well, and what was funny, though, is because we were sitting there, and we were having coffee, and, and it took us a little bit to realize, wait. Yeah. <laughs> we know each other. We know each other. <laughs> I know you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's just, it was been great to, like, reconnect with John. Um, you know, one of, I uh, say, you know, there's so many things that I admire about John, but... You know, one of the things as, as a, you know, somebody who helps mentor other people and stuff, you know, we always talk about, like, coming from a place of service, right? And, mm -hmm. and how that universe will return that, that service to you without the expectation that it's going to come back to you. And I just truly think John is literally the epitome of that person because you go, I mean, I don't care what text message conversation we have, whether we're out riding bikes Anytime we run into somebody or I see a conversation with John, he's always asking from his heart, like, what can I do to help you? And he doesn't just throw it out there lightly. Like, it's just like, you know, somebody saying, just say it. Like, the guy truly means, like, what can he do to help you out? And, you know, it's just amazing. Like, he's, he's led such an interesting life and obviously still does. That all that stuff just comes back to him and gives him, you know, if you want to call him blessings or the the universal energy coming back, um, it's just great to see that. And and I, you know, sometimes I think it catches people off guard because they're like, is he really saying like he's willing to go out of his way to help me out? No, the dude really is, and it's and it's awesome. So it's it's great to have you here. I pay you a lot, yeah. you a lot of money later. Well, <laughs> I really appreciate. That. I'll bring this up again. People won't think so when they see that '79 Buick outside. <laughs> With a patina finish. It's really a patina finish, and I just got the uh, windows tinted with some uh, natural film that everyone else probably has on their car, too. <laughs> so, but. You, know, you know, I really, really want to say, you know, what was fun back in 02 when, when uh, we went out on the floor is, and it's one of those things, you know how, like, there's those experiences in life that you wish you could just touch people and say, God, I wish you could have just felt that moment, you know, yeah. is when we hauled him out and he held up his medal and he was standing at the center and everybody, and you got 20,000 plus people standing up in the arena cheering for him, you know, because he represented nice. the country. I mean, it was amazing. I still get goosebumps. Yeah, no, I mean, you're giving me goosebumps right now, just taking me back to that moment. And, you know, it's, 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 it was kind of weird, honestly, for me to have, you know, to be inside the jazz stadium being 
presented by the Utah Jazz Bear, who has just you know changed the face of mascots worldwide, and then have twenty thousand fans cheering so loud, like I couldn't even hear myself in the microphone. I was literally like, when I was like, is there something wrong with it? <laughs> no, it was with? just so loud. I was cheers. laughing in my head. I was like, oh, oh man, <laughs> you know, that kind of nervous giggle. I was like, yeah, Damn, this is awesome. it, it was it was so cool. So, yeah, um, you know, you know, John and I will definitely be friends for for a long 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 time um you know we ride bikes together although i've got to get another one um but you know we're already planning bike rides and and it's just great to have him as a friend and see what he does day to day to not only you know make his life better but goes out of his way to help other people in any way shape he can so thank you bill yeah absolutely that's awesome well that's why we wanted you here man we like to hear those kind of stories that's for sure um so john because your your face in and of itself is probably not real well known outside of Utah, uh, John is the longtime the original jazz bear, yep. and you changed the face of mascotting and professional and, and I'm, I'm sure to a large extent amateur sports through your 25 year career. I'd say that's a understatement. <laughs> Which, I, I hope I made a change. I mean, I hope I did something. I mean, I, <laughs> 25 years. Hopefully, I put. A, a footprint somewhere in there. So. Well, when I was happened to be in your office with Bill a few weeks ago, and saw all those awards and heard the different stories, <clears throat> ah, it was just it was amazing. Um, so, would you kind of give everybody your journey? How you know, start from the beginning. You know, back I, when I was one. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Seriously, I, I don't even know where to start. Um, but just give us your journey. With I'd love to hear it, and I, and I know everybody else would too, because well, you know you are very unique in what you do and the way you went about it. Cut your own path, and that's what we're all about. Well, I, I think you know maybe a good place to start because I, I always hear people ask this question of you, and it's the same question I asked you: how you even got started into mascotting? Because you were a farm boy. Yep. <laughs> there was no mascotting on the farm back in the day. You know, the, the, the mascotting career found me really. Um, because, like you said, is you know I, I grew up on a farm, and and really that was kind of the training grounds. Now that I think back, is, is you know just all the stuff that I was able to do out on the farm. Between I'd grab the ladder and just crawl up on top of my house just because it was high, and <laughs> crawl up on the you know the trees. And and I went to a school. It was Sacred Heart High School in East Grand Forks, Minnesota, and I was just fortunate because. I think in any other school I'd have been kicked out, <laughs> not because I was mean or anything, but I was just so ADHD, <laughs> hyperactive man. I was all over the place, and um, but they, uh, we had a, a our gymnasium. We had lights that were really high, and nobody liked crawling up on the scaffolding. So they'd always, I'd always get the call from Punky Beauchamp. <laughs> He'd be like, John Abzi, come down to the office, and I'd be like, Yes, I get to crawl the scaffolding and change out lights. <laughs> And uh, when they were tearing it down, somebody made a comment that they, they there was uh, part of the ceiling, whatever, and it still had where I had written my name up there when I was up there. And but I mean, so my school helped me with that. They they didn't try and you know say that you know I, I was I was wrong for climbing the walls and doing this and that because uh, her name was Sister Basil, and I remember she I was when I was young, my sisters were playing basketball and. Anytime there was a break, I would just run out of the stands, and I, you know, I was probably eight, just running around on the floor, <laughs> you know. And she had made a comment, and she told me this that she made a comment that someday he's gonna uh, be climbing the walls when I get into high school. And I, I remember I, I was trying to touch the ceiling in the in the hallway, and I ran up the wall and I put two holes through the wall, and she grabbed me and hauled me in, and she goes. <laughs> 
And that's when I heard the story. <laughs> she was like, I want to be mad. But she goes, and then she told me about what she had said. And she goes, and sure enough, there's two big holes right in the wall. Too funny. But I, I was really fortunate, you guys. I mean, I, uh, um, I remember sitting down, um, and actually with you, Bill, and, and, a lot of, and a couple other people. And everybody was kind of telling their stories about growing up and, and kind of the struggles that you guys all had. And, and I remember everybody kind of told their story. And when it got to me, I sat there and I was just like, you know, it's, 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 it's weird. I had an amazing childhood. I had a great family, a great friends, a great school. I mean, I was just, you know, I, I was just supported really well. Um, so I was really fortunate that way. And uh, when I was, uh, when, uh, you know, I, I graduated high school and college and uh, I joined the military. And when I got out, I started working in at uh, a gymnastics gym in Fargo, North Dakota. It was called the American Gold Gymnastics. And I didn't know gymnastics. I didn't know how to do it, but I, I, uh, I lied. Because <laughs> I needed a job. <laughs> So I'd, I'd go in and I'd just watch what everybody else was doing. So, but I mean, I, I so I, I started there. Then this team from Fargo, it was a CBA team back in the day, Continental Basketball Association. They came in, said we're looking for somebody, if you know, to be a mascot. And everybody just kind of immediately pointed over to me, and I started out there, and I got fired <laughs> because, <laughs> quote, they thought I was either going to kill myself or kill somebody in the crowd, and. So that's when it and all started. they figured started. that was bad then. They thought it was okay, bad back right. then, yep, because I was sledding down the stairs and I was, you know, bungee jumping out of the ceilings and rappelling out of the ceilings. And uh, so I thought, oh, that, you know, that was fun. I was getting paid literally $25 an hour, and, or an hour, $25 a game. I was going to say, I thought yeah, that I was, was like, I was like, back then, that was really good money. <laughs> yeah. It was. So 25 bucks a game. So, but it, so it was really nothing. It was just fun. And then when they, when they let me go, it actually made the paper... And then it, I got a call a week later from a team up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and I remember Kevin Moore was his name, and he uh, he called. I picked up the phone. It was in the morning. And he said who he was, and it was the Winnipeg Thunder, and he'd like for me to come up and talk to him and stuff. And I thought it was a joke. And I really did. I thought it was just a buddy of mine giving me crap because I got let go, and I hung up. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 and I hung up. And it rang again. He's like, no, 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 really, this is Kevin Moore. And he tried it, and I was like, okay. So I drove up to Winnipeg, met with him. And then for my after school, because that league was in the summer, I went up to uh, Winnipeg and performed. And they were completely opposite. They wanted me to go way outside the box. And I almost died four times doing it, you know, because they, there was no checks and balances. <laughs> and I remember one of them, I was sitting in the catwalk, and the head was, you know... Uh, what was the mascot you were in? It was Kaboom. It was a big polar bear. Okay. And you looked out the mouth, and I remember, you know... Thankfully, for you know, just like you guys, when you do something enough, you know, even if you can't see it, you can feel it. Does yeah, that make sense? Memory. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I had ran up because thankfully I'd rock climbed, so I, I just knew myself about harnesses and where the figure eight and stuff should be. And I ran up. I was late, which was bad. You know, <laughs> you know, is because I didn't have the time to check my equipment. I go running up, and you know, anywhere else there would be other people up there to help you. It was just me. So I go running up. And I hook in, and I was straddling these two beams, and then what I do is I just jump and I zip down, and it was in the Winnipeg Jets Arena, so it was about 100 and, 110 feet, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm getting ready to go, and that voice in my head was just like, something's wrong, something's wrong, and I just felt like I was off to the right, and I just was like, and they announced me, and the spotlight hits, 
and I got up on my tiptoes, and I couldn't do it. And I was like, dang it. Well, I said better words than that. But I opened up my head, and I looked, and I hooked into a cargo strap. Oh. And yeah, and those things only hold what, about 15 pounds, maybe. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I really got lucky there. And then I remember another time, if I can tell another one. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Stupid yeah. stories. But I remember the dance uh, team wanted me to do Phantom of the Opera. And I was going to zip line in from one of the camera platforms. And so we hooked up the zip line. And I, I did it by myself, and it worked. But we were going to have a dancer hold on to me, and I was going to have her come in with me. And <laughs> here we are up there. And we only practiced when we did practice off of a ladder, right? And the only thing I was using was a lanyard. And I would spin my hand in it and then grab it so it was tight on my wrist. So we practiced off this 12-foot ladder, and I did get a little bit of rotation, but it wasn't long enough to, for me to realize what, what was about to happen. So we're sitting up there. She's not strapped in. She literally is just hugging me, and I'm holding on to her, and I'm wrapping my hand, and they announce it, and we start to go. And sure enough, we start, we start twisting like this, and it's untwisting off my wrist. Oh, no. And, it's, and I remember screaming because you know how like you're just like ah, because in my head I'm like I am not letting her die because of my stupid decision and we hit the floor and my hand comes out she goes off and dances and I literally was just so shot from squeezing so hard like everything in my being was holding on to this thing that I couldn't even dance I just laid on the floor <laughs> I was just like I was just so like oh my god she didn't die thank you lord I was just like it was crazy so but no so yeah they're they were opposite. They, they, and then uh, I got down there for my summer job. I went back to school. Um, and then uh, I got a call from John Etram from the Sioux Falls Sky Force. And I kid you guys not, once again, I hung up on him. I thought it was another joke. Sky Force? Yep. What kind of team was that? CBA. Okay. They were another CBA. The, the one up in Winnipeg was the NBL, which was the National Basketball League. And you, you guys remember Tom Nasalki, old jazz coach? He was the commissioner up there. So, And that's really actually where my it started because I knew that he worked for the jazz and stuff. And uh, um, so I went down to Sioux Falls and I was actually there for a year. And uh, that's when uh, the Phoenix Gorilla came in. He performed at our event, because back in the day the CBA would bring in mascots all the time and they would be halftime show, you know, they would oh. do our halftime show and stuff. And I was talking to him and that was one of the first times I remember sitting there and just going, so did you really do this as like a full-time job? <laughs> He's like, yeah. And I go, you make a living doing this? He's like, yeah. And, it, and it, it was a good living. And then I put together uh, resumes and videos and pictures and sent it out to the all the teams. And I got a call from uh, a Grant Harrison and a Teresa Pryor from the Jazz. And they said they're having a three-team tryout in Salt Lake City. And we'd love for you to come out and uh, try out. And I said, that'd be great. So it was Sacramento, Seattle, and Utah. Um, but then uh, the reality of me being a poor college kid, you know, not having any money to fly out, not, you know, I was just like, how the hell am I going to pay for this? So I remember the day I went and got the paper to put my ad or to put my truck in the paper so that I, I thought I've got to sell my truck to get money to go do this dream. Just like you, you know, yeah. the, the, the things that you had to do to, to go for that dream. And I didn't even know if this was a dream. It was just one of those things that I needed to try. Mm -hmm. And just before I put it in, after I got back, uh, Teresa Pryor called and said, you're one of two guys that we're going to fly in. So it was like, oh, thank you. So you didn't have to sell the truck? I didn't have to sell the truck. <laughs> which I'm going to ask you to move a little further. Oh, sorry. Which I, was... Which I forgot was to talk about Brad, Brad Brad over here. Our producer's probably going, I can't hear him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, came out here. We did the tryouts. 
And he's um, asking you to move even closer forward. <laughs> is that better, Brad? That's better. <laughs> better? Are we better now? Um, so then uh, uh, we came out here. We did tryouts, and the Phoenix Gorilla and the Charlotte Hornet, Mike Zarillo, were our judges. And they had already picked for the Utah Jazz a mascot from ASU because Zarillo and the Gorilla, and I can't say his name because he's still performing, but okay. he, uh, they performed with, or they did gymnastics with him at ASU. So they said, well, you guys take him. And then so basically I was up for Sacramento or Seattle. And my saving grace was that when he went out to dunk, he, he missed. And as he was walking off the floor, he peeled off his gorilla head and threw it and swore. And we're Utah. <laughs> so wow. It took him right off the list. So that's, that's how I ended up getting in. But I remember everybody that showed up, all 10 of us, um, we drew straws to see who was going to go first. Mm-hmm. And we all performed in gorilla costumes. But there was only one head that really fit everybody. And I was the last guy. And I remember Terry Allen from Alenco Costumes putting it on me. And he cinched the uh, uh, webbing in the back. And it had foam sponges in the front of the face. And it just squished. Everybody sweat right down my face. Oh, <laughs> that's, like, oh, oh God. So, that's not very COVID-friendly. No, at all. <laughs> so, so anyway, I left thinking that there was not a chance because, I mean, everybody was just, like I said, everybody, earlier when we were talking, everybody was really good at mm-hmm. one thing. I wasn't great at anything, but I was just good enough <laughs> at everything. You know what I mean? Just to get me through. And... Um, so I got a call back for the second tryout, and this time we were in big dinosaur costumes, so we couldn't tumble, we couldn't, there was no athleticism, we just had to interact. And once again, I left, not thinking I got anything. Uh, a week later, I got a call from all three teams, offering me the job, and this is why it, it found me, I didn't call anybody back. All three teams? All three teams, and not one person called me back. I mean, I, I didn't call one person back, and then I, because I all of a sudden got afraid and, and that's what really kind of upsets me that, mm-hmm. you know, and where I think my turning point of, you can't be afraid of, you know, you just got to do it because I pushed so hard to get to where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden like, oh, here, you, you got it. And all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want to leave the farm. It's comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so it was. So were you still living on the farm at that time? Yep, I was. And there's a couple of things I want to hit before you finish. So you didn't do gymnastics. Mm-mm. Were you a basketball player? Mm-mm. Well, I played in high school. Yeah. I, okay, so you, you at least picked up a ball a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So but I wasn't good. All they put me in for was defense, because <laughs> I could run like forever. I never, I could never, had the Energizer Bunny going, man. I could fair enough. Run. Fair enough. But I wasn't good. Yeah. So you didn't call anybody back. Nope. And then a couple weeks later, I remember. So Grant Harrison called the farm, and I was over at my sister's. My sister comes out, and she's like, there's a Grant Harrison on the phone. I'm like, and, in, and even in my head, I'm just like, Grant Harrison, who's that? And then all of a sudden, it hit me. So I answer, and he's like, hey, man, did you take, and he didn't say man, but he's like, hey, John, did you take a job with one of the other teams? And I said, no. And he's like, you know, so what are you doing? And I said, I don't know, Grant. And, he, and I go, I'm just, you know, sitting here. I, I'm just not sure if I want to leave. And he's like, well, why don't you come out here and at least give it a try? And he talked me into it. And then I moved out. So otherwise, I wouldn't have missed it. Wow. So, yeah. That, look, moral of that story, don't be a dumb butt like me. Just, <laughs> you can say dumbass. It's cool. We can say yeah. This is one of those shows? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're limitless here. We're, yeah. we're a whole bunch of those guys. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing on us. Right? So... Um, 
let's. Uh, you, sound like you're about <laughs> you, to execute. You have to like tap him, or else he'll just keep. I'm going. a karate. He, he'll Kung just like chopper. take the whole show. Oh, over. Yeah. <laughs> he won't ever get a chance yeah, to say anything. So just do. You guys do like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, John. Uh, like something you said really stuck out to me, and I want you, if you can, to expand on this because I think Brett, all of us here, think failures is something to learn from, not yeah. to get pissed off on. And I, I learned that lesson back in high school wrestling. I lost or I tied with a guy. Got up and did exactly what your your competition did. I threw my headgear against the wall and dropped the F-bomb in high school. And my coach like, great, you just lost the point. This guy wins. And that's exactly what happened with you, right? So if you can, talk a little bit more about that. Because I think when we fail, it's we have to look at it differently. We have to look at like, hey, what can I learn? What can I do better? Not get up, throw a temper tantrum like I did or that guy did. Um, because you actually benefit from it, from right. even though you felt like you weren't good enough, right. you kind of maintain your professionalism. So if you can, I mean, I don't know if there's much to expound well, on it, but <clears throat> honestly, I mean, I think I, I was just fortunate, you know, because, and it's funny as much as we're all growing up, you know, you sit and think about. I think it's interesting the certain things that you remember in life yep. from certain people in your life, mm-hmm. and you know that's my father, and the things that he would tell me are the things that I saw him do. And, you know, I still remember stuff from my high school coaches, you know, from our football coach. And I still, you know, Bonnie Andrews, my high school teacher. And it's weird, you know, it's been how many years, but I still always will reflect back if something happens and I'll, and I'll remember what they said. And I just remember my dad always would, would tell me that because when we were out on the farm and if we were doing something, I, I would get so upset because, you know, I, I broke a bolt trying to fix the tractor or I did this or I backed the tractor. I remember one time I was, forgot to take the gas hose out of the we had a gas pump and I just <laughs> ripped it right off <laughs> and I remember I'm just I'm so mad and, and my dad always said he was just like what good is it to get that upset he goes you know and you know he he was upset but he also you know wasn't freaking out at me upset does that make sense mm-hmm. and I think I just learned a lot from that um in the fact that you know it, it's not going to help you to get upset. You, and like you said, you just got to learn from it. But it's, it's. I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. You know, we're, it's how we were raised. And mm-hmm. that, that uh, I'm trying to remember his name, but that kid that did that, you know, unfortunately for him, didn't have somebody that was coaching him like I was, not coach, but teaching him. Mentor. Mentor. That's a good one. Or just a father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I was just really lucky that, you know, I was able to get that information, and unfortunately, I I had an open mind, and I was able to take it in. Because I know a lot of times people, they, they shut down, and they're just like, I'm not going to listen to that because I'm going to go my own route. So I was really um, lucky that way, that I had people in my life to do that. You know, I mean, and then I go, can I tell another story? Yes, <laughs> by all means. What I say about my football coach, because I remember... I was a freshman. So we found a sport that you actually played. I did, yeah. Okay. But I wasn't, I wasn't good at it either. I wasn't good at it. Sorry. But uh, you know, th- this is exact. I'll, this will explain exactly who I was when I played football. So, uh, we were, I was a freshman, and, and we were playing against, we were practicing against the varsity, and there was uh, Mark Kerr and Jeff Norton, and they were the big senior middle linebackers, and they were prepping for, uh, I think it was uh, one of the teams that they were going to play. And we were the, you know, the dummy team, and, and uh, I was the running back, and it was a run up the middle, you know. 
and he calls it and I run up and, and I got five yards or whatever and he's, he's upset and he's like, no, you know, you need to be doing this and this. You know, he can't get past the line of scrimmage and we run it again. And I remember I kind of looked like, we're doing it again. <laughs> you know what I mean? How you're like, they know the play. That's <laughs> I run up the middle and I, and I get maybe a yard past the line of scrimmage and, I, and, it, and it hurt, you know, because they're big guys. I'm small. I think it was with like 130 at the time. <laughs> and I get back in the into the huddle and he's like, run it again. And you've all seen this, you know. And I remember just standing there and I'm just like, because I, I couldn't understand. This isn't about me. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't the fact that, oh, look, I made five yards. Like, you know, good job, John. This was about us prepping the, you know, the, the defense. <clears throat> and we run it again and I got pounded right at the line of scrimmage. And he's like, run it again. You know, and he's telling them how they need to block and where this guy needs to be. <laughs> And I remember kind of like, this isn't right. <laughs> Somebody help me because I'm just getting pummeled. And we run it again. And those guys hit me right when I get the ball so hard. I literally fly off the ground. The ball goes flying. And I land on the ground and slide right up to Coach Meyer's feet. And I've had snot on my face mask with the snot blew out. And I get up and I'm like, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> I was just freaking out. But the thing that I thought was interesting is when it happened, him looking at me and smiling and gave me that. And it, it was just a pat on the back, but it meant the world. Yeah, Isn't sure. that weird? Yeah. And, and I think, I, I mean, I don't even know where the other story was going. But, <laughs> but when we're talking about that is it was one of those things that it taught me that, you know what, it is you just get back up. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's what he was kind of getting at, too, is quit being up. Was it? Yeah, no, but you know what I mean, and I and I I really learned a lot from that. And I kid you not, because in my career, all the injuries that I got, I never stayed down. Like I remember, I tore out my shoulder one time, and I and I came down the ladder. I think it's on one of the videos. You see, I was doing a one arm handstand, and it just popped and tore it. And I came down, and I I couldn't show that I was hurt, you know. And I finished the game like that, and then I remember. Um, how many injuries? I'd go back at halftime and they'd stitch me up and I'd go back out. And I really believe a lot of that came from that moment, which is really weird, you know? Mm -hmm. um, as well as my dad, like, I don't know, it, it's fun to, to look back and, and think about the things that you thought were, you never really thought about as a kid, but now you look back and go, God, that was, that was pretty impressive because my dad cut his thumb off right here with a weed eater or, like, or not a hedge trimmer. And he literally, because he was old school, my dad was old, and he put it back on, bandaged it up, and he soaked it in kerosene. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it grew back. Kerosene. Yeah, right. it was bizarre. To, to my dad. So, anyway. so our, our medic, is that the prescribed way to do that, right. Sal? It's a technique. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one? You know what else he would do? You know, liniment? Yeah. I, like, for external use only? I remember a number of times, I'd be it's in the tub like, when I was a kid, and he'd come in, he'd grab the bottle of liniment and put some in a spoon and go, <laughs> and he'd go, <laughs> And he did it. I don't know. Now, what the hell is liniment? I have no idea. Liniment? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's like uh, it's uh, it, it's like an anti-inflammatory. Really? Yeah. yeah. And it's it, old. Uh, it's real old school. Huh. Really old school. Rub it on there. That's crazy. But like a uh, icy hot kind yeah. of thing, you know? Wow. Like well, if it works on the outside, it must work on the inside. Work for him. <laughs> That's but No, I, I don't know. I guess you know, I did not answer your question well, but it was. Uh, it, I just. I guess I'm looking back at like you said is you know the people that. Um, get angry and stuff like that is I don't think they're 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 letting their minds be open enough to um, 
look at themselves critically. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I think you answered it perfectly, and, and that statement just summed it up. If you're closed sure. and you don't want to learn, then you're going to be stuck in the same spot. Yeah. So, right. so and, and, and I hope he learned from that. I really do. I mean, you know, I met him. He was a good kid. I, I hope that he figured out that, you know, all he had to do was take five more steps. Do it. He did it in the wrong time, wrong place. You yeah. know, go punch a locker by yourself somewhere. But right. don't, it, yeah, you yeah. just picked the wrong I, time. I, know. I think there's, from the time you started talking about your career, you know, Operation Limitless is all about how do we help people become limitless in their own lives and what they do, whether it's day to day, their personal life, their business, sports career, whatever it is they do, right? And you talked a lot of times about doing things, you know, willingness to sell your truck, you know, willingness to, you know, run the same play in football just because your coach said so because he knew, yeah. right, he knew better. And just willingness to, like, not, like, uh, you know, not take something on and have, like, one thing knock you down and, and have that keep you down, right? You kept getting back yeah. up. And, and, and I think that's, you know, myself, Brett, Mark, who's not here, um, and Sal, we've all, and, and even Bad Brad, we've all had those things that happen in our life that if – we would have given up on that first hurdle, we would have never had an opportunity to hit the next nine hurdles in the 110-meter hurdle race, right, to eventually get across that finish line. And I think you talk a lot about you know, getting back up and overcoming it and be becoming limitless in what you do to eventually become one of the most historic, impactful mascots of all time. So. Historic. Historic. Epic. <laughs> no, yeah, thank there, you for that. There's definitely, you hit on two things. I just took a note that we talk about a lot. It inevitably comes up with people who are in your chair, right? Um, it's not failure, it's just feedback. Yep. And then a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I mean, those are things that we've, so many people we've talked to, That's even if it didn't said. come out in the interview, it was Close. a core part of who they are and what they did and why they got where they got to be and that kind of thing. Um, we need to take a quick pause for the cause before Bad Brad inflicts his own brand of justice on us so that we can... Bad uh, Brad, I like that. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick pause for the cause. We'll be back with John Ashby. Kingdoms Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Brad Newfeld, host of Resilience. You can catch my show every morning at 8 a.m., Monday through Friday, right here on the Resilience Talk Network. Tune in to discover what it takes to overcome any challenge that you may face in life. You'll be glad you did. John Aspie, the former Jazz Bear. Aspie. Did I say that? You always say Aspie. Yeah, he said Aspie. 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 It was an S-H. Okay, Aspie. No, it's funny. Keep going, man. Keep this right. thing rolling. And we're back with this guy right here, John Aspie, the former Jazz Bear here on Operation He just goofed Lewis. it up. We came back from a break. <laughs> this is well, the second take. on YouTube, so I, I have to right. own it, right? So uh, they might not get it on the podcast, but they're going to see it on YouTube. Anyway, we're back. So, John, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And um, you were regaling us with some stories in the off time. That I just want to touch Sal's head. I do. I want to just... Get in line. <laughs> I'll be leaving now. These guys will have a private time. First you wrote Bill, now you want to touch my head. <laughs> Oh, it's getting it's getting deep here in Limitless Studios. Um, now let let's talk some more. You you really revolutionized uh, 
the mascot industry. And you, as I recall, you had a number of awards in your office for mascot of the year. I believe that's what it was, yep. wasn't it? Uh, from the NBA, or was it from all sports? I don't remember. Uh, a couple. One, two of them are from all sports. One, uh, five of them are from the NBA. So how did that come about? I mean, were they always doing those kind of contests, or did you guys that were doing that bring up the level so much that all of a sudden it became a thing? I mean, No, you know, I mean, because, I mean, there was, with all the awards and stuff that I got, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess I have to look at it, too, as, is, uh, I'm, I'm trying to put both questions together here, what you asked about. <laughs> okay, we got plenty of time. There, okay, so, because, like, so when I came in the league, um, there were two types of mascots. There were the athletic mascots, and the Phoenix Gorilla was the one to kick open that door. Mm-hmm. And then it was the San Diego Chicken who kicked open the funny mascots, you know, and, and mm-hmm. he carried that up. And then it was the Philly Fanatic who kind of took that baton, and he, car- and he was the funny mascot. Um, the Gorilla was the athletic mascot. And then there became um, even more athletic mascots, like Jerry Burrell from the Houston Rockets. He was Lycra, and the man was amazing I mean just so talented he was one of the first guys to do a f- double front flip dunk oh, and I wow. thought I mean you know how like you always see something you're like oh there's no way anybody's yeah. gonna do you did it so then then the gorilla moved over to the middle ground and that's where kind of the bear fell in was I was somewhat athletic and I was somewhat funny so I, I kind of fit in the middle ground but I like I said when I was talking to you earlier I, I hated I didn't want to follow anybody's path I wanted to kind of plow that up my own path mm-hmm. and um and make it mine so i i knew i couldn't be funnier than the philly fanatic and i knew i wasn't as less as, as as athletic as jerry burrell or or the phoenix gorilla so the one thing that they weren't doing was stunts so that's where all my stunts came in and um when we were about three years in that something else that i noticed was nobody really talked in the league amongst each other about ideas like you when you went and were you know uh competing you weren't sitting around with germany and they're giving you all your secrets you know (laughs) so it's the same thing as nobody wanted to share their secrets so i started a conference back then uh it was about 97 and it was to invite all the mascots in and say listen you know what i do here you know and you know if you copy it and do it in phoenix nobody's gonna know and because the going right back to what my coach said, Phil Myers, he's I remember st- still sitting there freshman year and he just goes, we're only as strong as our weakest link. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking around going, I hope nobody's looking at me. <laughs> like, that would suck. <laughs> but, but I remember and I said that in my thing when I wrote the letter out to those guys is that, listen, you know, if we can make everybody strong and we can elevate our uh, careers mm-hmm. and our and our jobs and what we do professions, um, it's going to help all of us. You know, but but trying to push everybody out, I go, it's just going to make it harder for us. So it it happened and we only had like five guys show up our first year. But now, I mean, it still goes on, um, but we get every mascot. It's like a must do thing that you go to. And then the other leagues um, kind of copied it, I guess. By other leagues, you mean football? Yep. I'm sorry. Football, baseball. Yep. And uh, so so coming from that. Um, I just totally lost train of thought. How crazy that, is that? That's all right. Sal, help me out here. What we were talking about? <laughs> what was the original? Okay, Sal, if you were listening, what was my original comment? We were talking about the gorilla, right? We were talking about me and, and uh, you're, well, we, you're just talk, we were just talking about how you 
from all your awards how you've transformed oh, okay. the mascot industry. So. <laughs> Bill, that's what that's what we Thanks, have. Bill. That's what we have to look forward to. When you guys we hit 53. Can I mic drop? My <laughs> <laughs> I was out really late last night, and uh, I'm Us still trying to wake up. Fifty-three-year-olds have yes. to stick together. I can't say your name. You can't remember your train of thought. It's all it's coming together now. I'm struggling here. I'm like seriously, like I, sh- I should have had another cup of coffee before I got it. Um, but no, but I mean, because of that though, it it lent itself to be looked at differently than everybody else. Because if I was just like everybody else. You know, it, it, you're you're trying to compare ten people, but I just had this my own niche. You know what I mean? And uh, that kind of is what what helped um, me. You know, be able to, to to get a lot of those awards. Plus, I I always wanted to think outside the box. The other thing that helped is at conference, I always offered up anything and everything I had. And I remember Luke Larson, my assistant, always said, "Why do you tell everybody what you're doing?" And I said, "Because if I don't, I'm going to get stagnant." And I won't push myself because if I'm doing something that nobody else is doing and I don't want to get in that rut, you know, just like anybody, you guys Mm -hmm. can say the same thing is if you want to be successful in my heart is I, I, you share what you have and then you have to, you know, put the knife to the grindstone and work harder to to do something different. And it makes me think outside the box. And that honestly, it worked because I would sit there and I would, everybody would see what I was doing. And I remember uh, they started to sled down the stairs, and then I said, okay, well, then I took him a bicycle down the stairs. Then I saw it was the Toronto Raptor. He took a bicycle down the stairs. I'm like, okay. Because to me, if somebody's going to copy your stuff, I mean, that's just an amazing form of saying what you're doing is good, is good you know, and it, it's very, it's a good compliment. Yeah, they say uh, um, what being a counterfeit or copying is the highest form of compliment you can yep. have. Yeah. And so, but it, it, it just pushed me to keep thinking of new things and then from there it went to the uh, snowboard down the stairs and then rocky did that and then i went into ladders and then people started doing ladders and then they just got taller to my 23 foot and then rocky had this ex- he had a 23 foot and then he had an extension that went up another five feet and i was like <laughs> so then i was like okay what do i do so i did a handstand on the ladder and then you know i mean so it just kept going then somebody else did it and then i did the one arm handstand but it just pushed me on to the keep top thinking. of almost a 30 foot ladder it yeah, but it you you you, like sort of you have to do it <laughs> because I don't know. I mean, it, it's just you know how it is when you're yeah. comfortable in with with what you're doing. Um, believe it or not, the handstand was probably one of my easier things. That and the sled. It's the little stupid things that are actually kind of hard. Isn't that funny? But that's how I feel. Um, I was able to obtain some of those awards is just because I, I was just in a whole different you know. Mind first mindset when it came to performing. So I, I got a question for you. What, was there a point in time when you were training or thinking of a skit or something that you're like, I'm going to do this because no one else is doing this, and it's literally going to change the game? Was there like that pivot point where you're, you know, I don't know if you trained at the Jazz Stadium or gymnastics place, but. Where you're sitting there, because I know I did this a lot when I was at the gym or I was on the track. I was like, okay, I'm going to cr- think of an exercise that no one else is doing that's going to add to my overall strength and power and performance. And then when I do it, it's going to be that, oh, wow factor. People are like, whoa, what did he just do? Yep. No, nope. 100% agree. The, there was uh, a couple things. Um, the first one that comes to mind, which is funny because... This is probably one of the few stunts that I never did. And thankfully, I, I, I suppose I should say, because Grant Harrison said no. 
Uh, <laughs> thank was you, Grant. It, yeah, <laughs> I had one of those hold well, my beer moments. Yeah, well, because because I was in the military. Uh, you know the incendiary rounds, and they yeah. have the parachutes. Yeah, I had a couple of those, and I thought, you know what? If I have them up in the rafters and hold them open, and I jump out of the rafters, maybe it'll parachute me to the ground. And we filled a duffel bag. I had my army duffel bag. I know. And we filled my duffel bag, and we did it. And I was like, you hit kind of hard, but you know, I could do it, right? And I would. So we were literally figuring out my harness system. We were gonna jump out of the rafters, and and my boss was just like, I don't care what you said. He goes, I will. You know, he goes, I've helped you and, and agreed to some of the things you've done but he goes i will not let you jump out of here in a, on a parachute and then so but that was that was one thing that yeah. i thought would definitely revolutionize but it never happened but so if we're talking about the same parachute you're talking about the parachute that's no greater than like three feet in diameter no no this one was like i bet you it was about five feet oh five feet, feet. oh that's better <laughs> but right. yeah sal there was two of them <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> No, yeah. So that was that was uh, that was one thing that I thought would change, but it, it thankfully it never did. You know, um, really, what I think helped um, in that mindset was you, you guys all know Andy Kaufman, right? The comedian. The comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, something he did that nobody realized until after he died was everything he did was set up. You know, the the fight with the wrestler and stuff that was all set up. Him and him and. Uh, uh, Jerry the Jerry the King Lawler? Lawler yeah Jerry Lawler they were best friends and nobody knew that they thought oh my hell they hate each other you know when they were on Letterman and they mm-hmm. fought um, and I think I pulled a little bit of that out of him or off of what he did because <clears throat> I would tell very few people what I was going to do the, the first time I did it I had one of my friends and I sitting up in the stands in Dallas Mavericks outfit and you can still see the video. It's, and he uh, had a sign that said, Jazz Suck. And I didn't tell anybody in the <laughs> arena. And I went over to one of the security guards and I said, that guy is going to come running on the floor. And I said, I'll give you 20 bucks if you can catch him. <laughs> and I went over to another security guard and said the same thing. And then I told Ryan, Kel- or Ryan uh, Archibald, and I said, listen, I'll give you 20 bucks if you don't get caught. And he was like, okay. you know. And so <laughs> he comes rolling out on the floor. Nobody, I mean, this is kind of a, a first. None of the security guards really knew what to do. But these two guys started chasing him. And it really looked natural, you know. Then I'm standing in the corner waiting because my whole thing was to go out and tackle him. And um, as they're running, one of the security guards got close. And I went, oh, and I took off running. And it was badly, t- it was bad timed because I wanted to, catch him from behind and bring him down but because he was almost getting caught and i didn't want to wreck the skid i took off right away and we hit just like that and he chipped his knee bone and and we uh but i I got him down and it was one of those moments where the crowd just went crazy because it's like you know you're protecting our home turf and it gave the bear a little bit of cred and uh i i mean everybody thought it was so real and then i went in the back and cops are there and everything like that. And we're like, no, 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 he's with us. It was a skit. <laughs> and management's, you know, kind of like, what? The, why didn't you tell us? And I said, because if everybody would have known, it wouldn't have come off so natural. And I, I really like that. So that's another thing that I did that was different is I tried to make everything look natural by not telling anybody and, and taking a page out of uh, Andy Kaufman's book, which yeah. I feel like my whole life, my person is basically... You know, I've taken stuff off of you and, and you know, uh, other people, many other people that I've met. Because I'm always looking. I'm like, you know, 
I, I really like how you did that, or I really like like that squinty eye look you do, Sal. I'm gonna steal it. And, <laughs> no, that's my smolder. Yeah. <laughs> Still magnum look. No, but I just I've always been kind of that guy, like in my character, and I feel like it. I got it because like that's how I live my life. Is I find the good things, and then I want to make them part of me, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't sit there and go, no, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. It's like no, I want to make myself the best I can be and I did it in my personal life and then with my character so when I would watch videos of other mascots I'm like God, I really like the way he did the hey call me sign or instead of the way I did it or because my you know I think part of that is not letting your ego get too much ego where you're you know I don't need to change or there's sure. always something better and and I feel like with the character along with my life that's I've always strived is to find the good things in other people and kind of absorb them in my own being that's that growth mindset. Yeah. For sure. Well, you even showed me a couple weeks ago, we were at Mimi's, and you guys were talking about a skit that you did that got how many views on YouTube? Oh, millions. Yeah, millions think, and millions like of views. Million views right you guys now. have to check it out. But it was, for the most part, these two guys that we're sitting with at lunch. <laughs> right. he, he, I can't remember if they poured something on you first or you poured them and everyone thought it was beer, but... Um, yeah, it had millions of views, but it was something they had set up, and the crowd went crazy. You could literally see people sitting there, like going, "Oh my god!" Like, did they did they just pour beer on the jazz bear? And like, you could like, it was real. Like, and there, and I think very few people knew exactly what was going on. Nobody. Once again, yeah. neither did the management. Yeah. <laughs> because cop, you can see in the video this cops running up the stairs because it turned. I mean. If you watch it, those guys played it off so well. And the guy that I actually had do it was actually a police officer. And he, I mean, he looked, so, I was like, man, you sold that so well. And, and they, the, were, they were wearing 76ers jerseys yep. too. So it was during the 76ers. And security and the cops, they grab them and literally just muscling them out of the arena. And they get up there and, and like, once again, you know, the cops are out there and they start laughing oh that was awesome and they're yeah. I mean, and they said because i wasn't up there but they said everybody was like what the hell is going on here and then we yeah. explained it that was a skit yeah. and, but it backfired one time so i was walking on the railings and i look because i've done it so many like times normal. i was walking on the no, railings i was i was i was walking on the railings and my blood, my i see something through the roof right <laughs> so weed you're gonna get along right i don't so uh but I looked, and somebody went rolling by me kind of fast. And I was kind of close to the floor. So I was like, they're going fast or too fast to, like, just stop and turn to go on down the center aisle there. And uh, I looked back, and sure as hell, this guy has walked out on the floor and went over to our huddle. And I remember I looked at the security guards, and they're looking at me because I'm looking at them like, do something. And they're looking at me like, is this your skin? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember looking, I'm like, no, I'm looking at Ron and, and Roy, and I'm like, no, this isn't me. And, and it was just that moment of... He's the boy you cried wolf. It, seriously, <laughs> it really happened. And the thing that was, was bad is Jerry Sloan is the first one who got to this guy. And security had to separate him and this guy because the guy was in the huddle, hey. And Jerry sees him, and Jerry's not afraid of anything. And Jerry just went rolling over like, get out of my huddle. And he grabbed this guy, and security jumped. And it, I remember just standing there, and I went, I'm in so much trouble. And I walked yeah. in the back, and I didn't even do anything. But they came back and said, this is why. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, but, you know, talking about being limitless, right, you guys, is, is John did stuff to be limitless by thinking outside of the box from what was normal right creating mm -hmm. these these skits and stuff that and, and and that's what we want people to understand is like whatever you're doing in life whatever you got going on 
you know, think outside the box. How could you redefine whatever it is that you're doing that somebody hasn't done or they haven't seen or they haven't tried because of the fear of not one, you know, failure or whatever. And, and you know, that's a great point because I think the one thing that if I could get across to people is that because of just like I said with the bears, everybody else was kind of over here and I was doing my, my other kind of how I felt like I could get it done. Um, there's not one right way to get to the top. You know, I mean, there's not one right survival skill that this is 100% the way it's, there's other things that can work. They might not work as well, but they will still get you there. And I think a lot of people get locked up because there's so many of those books out there like, this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do. And then they feel like, oh, I can't do it. So then I feel like people get down on themselves to where it's like, no, don't get, just figure out another route. There, there's so many other ways to get to where you need to be. Look at you, I mean, in your, um, uh, like you were supposed to do football, you know, and just where your life was supposed to go and it took a sharp right and you ended up being an Olympic gold medalist, you know, and um, with you in, in uh, uh, martial arts, I mean, everything, people get too stuck on this is how it has to be and, and it doesn't have to be that way, so. The old saying that there are many paths to the top of the mountain and if you can only see one path and you're not anywhere near the top of the mountain. <laughs> I like that. See, you said it much more articulate than I did. I stole it from somebody. I'm just not Perfect. sure who to give credit to. So. <laughs> if I would have had another cup of coffee, I could have got halfway you, you through did, that. You right nailed that one. Yeah, I got it. Hey, John, I, I want to ask a question, and I'm, I'm going to steal the platform from these guys. But earlier you said you were scared. You were you were fearful when you got that phone call. Yep. And that, that's been a big thing for me is trying to help people not make mistakes I've made or you know, avoid some of the things in Limitless that we're trying to promote. Talk about how you overcame that. Because if you think about it, right, that was a defining moment for you that if you didn't, you didn't answer the phone or do anything, I mean, you could have been, not that anything's wrong with it, but you could have still been back on the farm. So like, what did you do to overcome that fear to get you where you are now? You know, I think a lot of times when that fear hits, and and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, it, it literally felt like I was, uh, paralyzed sort of mm-hmm. you know that internal par- like I felt like my head was thinking a million miles an hour and I just didn't want to take that step and and how to get past that step why I, why didn't you want to take the step well because because I was comfortable you know what I mean you when, when I was comfortable I, you know the family the farm and I was so living in a small town of you know what 800 I didn't know what the rest of the world was you know what I mean so I was I was afraid to venture out and all it took was that one step, got me out to Salt Lake City, and then it took it takes time, and it's still I get scared about some things. Completely different now, you know, like the things that I was scared of then are nothing now. Just like you, and you, you know, you guys is it, it just takes a little bit of time for you to have to really look inside who you are, and think about the situation, and just go, no, you know, I'm gonna take the step because a lot of people feel. I'm going to take the step and something's going to be wrong. It's, it's okay to be wrong. And, and I've really had to put that in myself. And I've, I think a lot of it helped because when I was doing skits, you know, they, they want it to be the big bang skit or, you know, it's live entertainment. I don't know if it's going to work. I've never performed this. It's been in my head, you know, so I'm afraid to go out and do it. But, you know, it's taught me that is that, you know, you, you don't know until you try. And, um, it, Unless it's something major, but you can always come back from it, even if it is wrong. And and maybe sometimes taking that step was meant to happen. So I don't know if there was, you know, 
an actual like defining moment. I know that was though, you know, but everything else was just a matter of me being able to look at myself and say why and have to think it through my head. You know, why, why am I afraid of this? How am I going to get past that? And a lot of times I'd sit and think about different things that people had told me or I'd think about different things that people did, you know, because, you know, I've heard your story and Derek Parr's story and Rulon Gardner's story and, you know, many others. And I do pull from all those, you know, a lot of times people think that you just sit and listen, but I sit there and I'm just like, well, you know, how did they do it? What, what were they doing, you know, to, to get past it? So I think it's just a lot of inner self-searching, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, for me to be scared um, now kind of makes me, and I'm sure just like you, you guys, is I always shake my head like, hell am I doing you know what I mean <laughs> I, I can get past this you know a, a lot of times when I was performing if I was going to go out and dunk and I know this is weird but I'd always tell myself all right you know because I was afraid to miss because if you miss you're going to get booed and I've had that happen and it sucks <laughs> like, there is not a worse feeling in the world when you go out there thinking oh this is going to be a great dunk because I've been practicing it and you go out and miss it and you go try it again and you miss it and you hear the crowd boo you and you're like oh you know, because you got 20,000 people. I just wrecked my credibility. <clears throat> and yes, I can come back from it, but it, it hurts inside because it wasn't just the character. That was me. Yeah. Um, but to get past it, you know, is, is one of those things I'd always just sit there and I'd be like, before I'd go out, I'd always, uh, I just had my routines. I'd do my little stretches with my hands because it would take a little bit of the tension out and the anxiety. And I'd always tell myself, I'm a professional mascot. I got here for a reason. John, you got here for a reason. You can go out and do this. And I, I swear to you guys, I know that sounds weird, but I did that every time I went out to dump. Well, it's just that positive self-talk. Yeah, I, it's the, yeah. yeah please yeah. expand it. That's the whole basis. Of no, I mean, I, and I think, I think every one of us <clears throat> have been in that place where, you know, that positive self-talk has actually helped us get over that hump. And, and in some cases, sometimes it's prevented us from getting over that hump, right? And I've, I know there's been several times you know, my, my self-talk at the Olympic Games in 2002 when I won my Olympic medal, because I always get asked the question, well, what was it like knowing that there were thousands and thousands of people at the track and billions of people watching you around the world? Like, weren't you so afraid and nervous? And I was like, yeah, but my self-talk was reflecting on all the times I practiced, 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 and I was meant to be here for a reason. And I, all I had to do was go out. I didn't have to do anything you know, more complex. I didn't have to try harder. I didn't have to do anything different than do exactly what I did to get me there. And, and I just went out and executed exactly what I did. You know? And so it was that positive self-talk. You know what's funny is the way you just, something you just said kind of made me go, that's, that's interesting, is people always say that, that like haven't been in our situation or, or a situation like that is, you know, they always talk about the people. Were you afraid with all those people watching yeah. or this or this? <laughs> And I know if I say this, you're going to feel the same. I didn't even know that. A lot of times I'd be out there and it, I'd forget there were people. Mm -hmm. I was so focused on what needed to be done and, um, you know, the, the skit or the stunt that I needed to get through. And there was many times I would do the skit or the stunt and the crowd would go away. I couldn't hear anything, but I could hear my inner, just the heart beating, my breathing. I could feel from my toes to my hands. Yeah, everything. And then once I came down, it was done. It was all. It would all come back. Yeah, it was crazy. No, that's that's exactly how I explain my experiences. I had no idea there was anything around me. It yep. was dead silent. Although reality, 
you could hear people screaming USA and cowbells. I didn't hear any of that. Yep. And you know we we started. I, you know, we all loaded, jumped in, and settled. And once we got settled, all of a sudden, yep. out of nowhere, and I was like, whoa, that was weird, <laughs> right? But you know what I want, what I want people to understand. You know, and you guys feel free to chime in. Is this could be this could apply to anywhere in your life, whether Absolutely. you're going for a new job, whether it's your relationship, and and that fear. You know, whether you continue to allow that fear to hold you down or you self-talk yourself into, like, taking that baby step forward mm-hmm. is going to be a huge difference, you know, in your life. You know, it, there's a lot to be said about fear. Like, you know, because I said earlier that it's good to have a little bit of fear so you don't screw up and, and uh, get too complacent. But then again, I think, like you said, is is fear does hold you back because I remember... I was taking the bike down the stairs, and this was a night that I thought, I'm going to go higher. And I went higher, <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and my assistant, Luke, was at the bottom, because we only get, like, two minutes to do the to bring everything out, set it up, because I had a ramp at the bottom. I had to get up the stairs with the bike. And I remember sitting there, and and uh, and you know this is that focus time. You know, like, it's I could hear things. And I was like, I'm not focused. <laughs> I was like, I didn't get into this. And my assistant's looking at me like, come on. But it was the fear that I couldn't get out of my head of, you know, I just went higher. Am I going to be able to do this? It was me doubting myself. Mm-hmm. And then I sat there and it was that deep breath. And I said the same. And it was that moment of just like, dude, I've done this before. I can do it, you know. And and all I kept saying was the worst thing that's going to happen is I hurt myself and I'm fine. Right. <laughs> and it focused in and I took off. And it was like, but it, when I look back at it, it was the, that fear that I my own mind came up with you know like you've done it a million times but it's that doubt and I think I mean if this goes back to your question I guess is not doubting yourself you know just having the most positive um, mindset of just like look I can do anything and if I fail it it, it wasn't a fail it was like you guys said earlier it's just something for me to learn on why did it not work is the best way to do it why did it not work okay I'm going to fix it and we're going to do it again but never walk away from it, because I remember a number of times I jacked myself up. <laughs> the snowboard was one of them, and I trashed myself hard, and they had to haul me into the training room, and I popped a bone in my wrist, and I jacked up my shoulder, and I went in, and I was like, why? What happened? And it was because I had edges on my board. Oh. I didn't take them off. So, and I had, and Tim Strong, an amazing snowboarder, he, he, me and him worked on it, and we went and took off the edges, so that it was just a piece of wood. And he goes, just keep it flat. Don't try and steer it. And I went and it worked great. But it was just one of those things. I could have easily walked away and said, dude, that sucked. You know, I, I trashed myself and yeah. I don't want to do it again. But nope, it's, there's, there's a way to get anything done. It's just, it, it, it's going to take some trial and error. And yeah. hopefully the air doesn't really jack you up. <laughs> you, you definitely hit a couple things that... that uh... The science is pretty much conclusive now. I mean, breathing, yep. right? The the art of being able to breathe when you need to, right? To con- breath control, the practice of mindfulness. Yep. And then you you also talked to, you had a series of habits that you did, right? You had the triggers. You had My specific routine. triggers had that you like did, this. and they got you into flow, Yep. right? That state when the uh, your, your self-doubt turns off, and your focus turns on to its highest level. And and that's an amazing, amazing science that they're doing behind that. And that some of the top research laboratories, professional sports teams, they're all 
working on the same thing that you guys are describing having happened to you and i'm sure you've had i've had happen to me and it's it's just awesome and and i think the more we can other people can hear these kind of conversations of how you did that it people it's stuff that anybody can learn they just we step over it i believe i call it stepping over because it, it seems too easy breathing having a habit yeah. right remember we've talked a lot about yeah. triggers right trigger stacks habit stacks environment stacks which lead to neurochemical stacks the yep. things that happen in your body that go whoo you're in you're in the pocket you're in the zone you're whatever you are have you guys ever noticed when you guys are out doing you know your things that um that that might have some complication or technicality or something but it always seemed like when i was doing my stuff i, I always did better when i was really relaxed and kind of jovial does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like when I was just out there having fun, having practicing fun. Yeah. or whatever, it just seemed, I was like, why can't it work like that every time? But it's because I, I was like, I, I feel like when we get to those situations, like, okay, we're on and, and you know, we, we have to do this. I, I think that just that anxiety and that fear cripple us, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. And because I, I remember going out one time and I, I was just in a, I, I'd taken too many five-hour energy drinks <laughs> i went out on the floor sponsored and I was with by the five hour energy say, I know. people have got sponsors 15 here. hour energy drink <laughs> but uh i remember sitting out on the dunk uh on the floor with the dunk team and just i was just you have a dunk you had a dunk team yeah we you know the jazz dunk oh, team do too. <laughs> oh no so they would dunk, you know they were just a team we'd pass and dunk the ball and we had our our routine and shows and this is back when I could actually run and actually dunk. <laughs> like, now before the 300 injuries. In this before season. the 300 injuries. But I remember going out there and just, I we'd always put our hands in the middle and we'd be, you know, we'd ha say our things. But I remember just laughing and joking. I'm like, hey, you guys, let's have fun. This is going to be great. And I remember, because when we'd get out there, you could see the, not the fear, but that, that like, I don't know, it, it not intense. It's it, like the anxiety. intensity, anxiety of... You know, you could see that the, it hadn't hit them yet that we're in front of 20,000 people and we should just focus on the dunking, you know. But they were just like, everybody's looking at us. And it was just fun to just loosen everybody up. And that was probably one of our best shows I think we ever did. I mean, because every time we'd come back, I was laughing. And I remember one time I told them, I was just like, you guys, I just hit the tram and I just shit myself. <laughs> and it was that moment where everybody was looking at me like, is he serious? And I'm like, no, no, I'm really serious, you guys. But it, so I did. <laughs> I mean, I really did. It's, it's bad. But I was so, it was so fun, and I was laughing, and we were having a good time, and it was one of our best shows because I think it just, having at least one person in the group just kind of break down that, that wall of anxiety just helped everybody relax, you know? Sure. Yeah. yeah well, then, we, sorry, go ahead. No, no I'm... Go ahead. No, when we, when we used to go on missions, I used to go back to listening to my oldest son talk as a two-year-old. And as you talked about, like neurotransmitters and chemicals, it made me smile. And when it made me smile, it relaxed my entire body. Yep. Endorphins were relieved and released, and then the chemical change started happening. So, yeah, that, it's powerful. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I should say, I hope a lot of people are, are finding their way of relaxing themselves. Um, I do want to say one thing, though. And... <laughs> No, no, I'm sorry. One thing on top of the hundred things. It's going to have something to do with no, OSHA. No, 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 no. OSHA. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, the, I think one thing we're failing to realize or failing to mention is that everybody in here, and especially you, um, 
worked at your profession and you put the time in to prepare. And so although the fear and the focus was there, you still did the preparation to get where you were going. And that, I assume, has a lot to do with your success. Okay. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> Let me retract that statement. This is Sal Rosado no, signing Sal. off. I got but, something. But, but I think touching you. Like, I'm just like, touch, touch, touch. That's, what, that's a John thing. But I think what you're trying to say is like, you know, we talk about plan to fail, fail to plan, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no way you could have done the stuff that you did without some preparation. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I mean, there was definitely preparation, but it, and once again, it was just my different mindset and the fact that, because everybody said, oh, you must practice a lot. And I was like, no, I don't. I I look at it as there's always the one in a million chance of hurting myself. The more I practice, <laughs> the closer to a million I get. <laughs> I know this is going to wreck you. I'm so sorry. But I literally, I did better, because now this is a whole different mindset. Um, I did better gaming it. I, I would, put, like, so Alan Handy was our on-court uh, announcer, and I would go out, I'm going to go back and forth here. So a number of years before forward, all this, yeah, back, I was working with the gorilla, and we were going to do a skit together, and we were in Phoenix, and we practiced, and we practiced, and we practiced, and I was like, holy hell, how much do we have to practice? But we practiced so much that when we went out on the floor, and you guys got to remember, this is live entertainment, just like everything you guys do, it's live. You can't predict what's going to happen, you know? You can plan it, but something's going to change. And we got out there, and of course, the referees weren't where they were supposed to be, and instantly you lock up because you're just like, Okay, it was almost robotic. Like, this is what was supposed to happen. Now it's not there. Now what do we do? And I, and back then, I couldn't think fast enough. He couldn't think fast enough. And it, just, it sucked. The skit sucked. So I learned from that to where I would just do a gist of what was supposed to happen and give everybody the information. And I, I shot from the hip. I ad-libbed almost every skit. Something always went wrong. And I was able to just, okay, you know, because I wasn't bound to... This is how it's supposed to be. And, and I mean, I mean that, so I don't know if it's right or wrong, you guys, but I, I know that it worked for me that, um, like I said, with Alan Handy, our on-court guy, I'd walk out and I'd be like, Alan, this is what's going to happen in the skit. This is where we need to be. This is how it's going to start. This is kind of the gerbil or jumble in the middle. I go, just say whatever you want, but this is where it needs to end, and this is how it has to go. And he'd be like, okay. <laughs> but we never practiced. I never practiced this. We talk about them. And I did it enough in my head to where I knew how the flow should go, but I never bound myself to exactly how that flow should go yeah. because I knew that something was going to happen, and it happened a number of times. I'd go out there, and I would actually go in. This was my prep, is I'd go into the referee, and I'd be like, hey, this is, I'm touching you again. Well, I'd go in, and I'd be like, yeah, see, you touch it. Hold on. So when I'd go into the, in the ref's room, I'd say, okay, this is what we're doing tonight, you know, and um, this is what I need you to do. And I learned early on, and just like you guys said, is that sometimes the referees made a bad call or the crowd is on them or there's a, a, a review or something, so they're not where they're supposed to be. So I'd say, okay, this is basically what I want to do. And if you guys don't want to do it, and I'd look over at Ron, who was head of security, because he was out on the floor. I said, I'll use Ron. And I go, Ron, if you're not there, <laughs> I go, I'll use Roy. I mean, I had my backups, but it, so that I wasn't pigeonholed into, I just can only use a referee. Mm-hmm. And it happened many a times where I'd walk out there at a timeout before, and I'd look at the referee, and I'd go like this. 
And he'd either give me a no or a yes, because I'd look at him and be like, yes, no, and he'd go, eh. <laughs> and I'd be like, that isn't helping right now. I, I, it doesn't work. Yeah. So, But it was, I, I was always, you know, very fluid with what I was doing. It was yeah. loosey-goosey, man. I, <laughs> I hate to say that I didn't practice, but and I didn't really, and I hate to say that too, that I didn't really, I didn't practice any of my stuff. Like the handstand, Yeah, I didn't. I'd just run it out there. And there's a number of times where I'd kick up and I'd come down, and I'd kick up and I'd come down, and I'm like, what the hell? Because in my head, I, and then finally it was like I would get to that point where I didn't want to fail in front of everybody, and I would just kick as hard as I could, and I'd catch myself going over, and I'd be like, no, 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 just squeezing, trying to bring myself back. But it was because I didn't practice, you know. So I don't know. It, yeah. You guys decide if it's good or bad. I, I mean, I'll just make a really quick comment, no. Brett. But what that brings up for me is like one of the things I learned at a young age in track and field from my coaches is, I mean, to some degree you did practice, but you're also talking about being on a mindset and an athletic on a whole nother level that is just yeah. not normal to most people, which is totally cool. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in, in college, my coach would always tell me, plan your race and race your plan, whatever yeah. that was, right? Yep. And, and I lived by that for a long, long time, but I eventually figured out, as you're talking about pigeonhole, because in the decathlon, I'm practicing for 10 events. And if things aren't going the way that I felt like in practice, you know, the day before, then how do I do it? So I eventually came up with, you know, plan your race and race your plan, but then be prepared for the unknowns because you never know what's going to happen that day, right? So yep. that is what allowed me to not pigeonhole myself into, you know, a certain situation because, you know, I could have had a great practice that whole week and then mentally I'm like, oh, I'm so ready for this competition, but I show up to the track and I feel like shit. Yep. So... What do you do then? If you haven't prepared for that unknown, what do you do then? So, um, you know, again, you're talking about an athletic and a mindset that's so far above and beyond so many people. You know, you're talking about the elite elite of what you did. But at some point in time, you, there was some practicing in your yes. mindset. Some or planning. Yeah. Some planning. Because it'd be just like you with martial arts. You can't, you can't go out there and say, I'm going to do this move or roundhouse. Because... That guy is gonna yeah, do something completely different. You might go out there and say, like, I, like the gist. I know I want to do. I'm gonna look for the moment I can do a a, a roundhouse. I'm crane gonna look kick. for a moment. Yeah, when a is crane, gonna do kick. The crane kick. The crane kick. You'll look for those moments, <laughs> but you can't plan it. You, you have to yeah, just kind of. I was gonna jump in and say the same thing. Yeah, there becomes a point where yes, you, you practice all these physical skills. You could dunk a ball. You pra how many times did you dunk a basketball? Lots. Lots, right? So you had that skill, mm -hmm. that finite skill you had. And you have the finite skill of walking on your hands and riding the Harley and doing these other things. It was the improvisation of linking those kind of things together, which is where you're going with that. Yeah, and just yeah. like what you were saying with martial arts, yeah, I know I want to kick you in the head or I want to punch you in the stomach, but it's going to be very adaptable when I'm going to be able to do that. Yep. Right? You, I always call that taking what's given. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think you do, like, just like in, for you in martial arts, as if, is if you just take it as it comes and you're just like, you know, you see those moments of opportunity, mm -hmm. um, I feel like that is when you're going to perform the best than, you know, focusing on like, I got to get these three things in and I'm going to do, to, I mean, because I think some of the best things I ever did weren't planned. I just walked out and something happened, which led to something else, which led to something else and it turned big and then we'd walk off and you know, in the back, I'm like, how did that just so luckily happen that everything fell into place? But it was because I wasn't, I wasn't setting myself up for anything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I never set myself up 
for success, I kind of set myself up for just what was next. You know what I mean? I didn't take 10 steps. I didn't look 10 steps ahead is what I guess I'm trying to say. I looked at step two. But and you did step set two yourself hit, up. You, yes. I think no, 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 you're right. Yes, I did set myself up. I think but I didn't look to the finish. I was just looking for what was going to get me there. You know what I mean? Right. What The different paths. Yeah. I, and I guess that's what I was trying to say is like I, I didn't have that one path. I was like, okay, number two took me here. And I know that maybe I should go to three this way, but I'm going to go to three here, which took me to four on a different level. And it, it just didn't look for the straight path. Yeah. I, I was my head, my head, my head was open to anything that would happen. That's pattern recognition. That's the science of pattern recognition, and neurochemistry, and all that. That you can connect the dots. There you go. You That's connect, exactly how it felt. You connect the dots. I can't tell you how many yes, times I've had students go, "What? You, how'd you do that? Do what? I, just did it. I don't. I don't know yeah. what I just did." Yeah. Or, and Bill Sal's done this too. What did you just hear? I'll say something and they'll get, what did you just say that was really good? And I was like, I don't know. I hope you recorded it. Yeah. I don't know what I said. <laughs> <laughs> right? We've all done that. So, yeah, same thing. I, I get it. You still have to have a super high skill level, though, to be able to pull, pull it off, whatever yeah. that is. Right? It, you have to have the skill set. You have to put the time in, and you did. Okay, so then how about this? So, Sal, you'd be a good one for this, too. So, and, and all of you are, but... All I need to know, I learned in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So do you think, because I always get asked, like, you know, because there's people out there that want to be mascots all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And they always think, like, well, you know, teach me how to work a crowd. Teach me how to be spontaneous. And teach me how to, you know, and I've always, like, God, it's, it's easier to teach you how to dunk a ball and be athletic than it is to have that mindset. And I guess I was looking at you as, just like in special forces, there, there's guys that get it and guys that don't. You know, I mean, look at the seals and stuff. You know, the guys that go in thinking we're gonna kill don't it. Break those guys. Oh, sorry. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what no, I mean? No, those guys are specimens. I'll just bust their chops again because they have better hair than me. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Is how do you how do you find that there's guys that can go into a situation like you've been in and and, and stuff and not buckle. You know what I mean? And it, it like what mindset? How do you find those guys? And how do you say you can't you? Because I feel that there is a situation or, or certain things where you just go, you know what? I know you want to be in, in special forces and stuff. It's not going to happen. Does that make sense? And I know this is a hard topic, right? You know, yeah. there's guys that want to be on the bobsled team. It's not going to happen. Me, I would. I don't care how much I practiced and tried. There's no way I could. You guys were like, I remember. <laughs> Being up in the in the warming house there, and there were some bobsled guys back when I was skeleton racing, and those guys were out there and warming up, and it was like watching freaking stallions, man. I mean, these legs and their bun. I was like, I mean, so out of my, so far out of my league. You know what I mean? And for me to go in out, and do a situation like you guys have done, and you know, with you know, firefights and all that other stuff. I think I'd be the guy in the dirt with my thumb in my mouth and pooping myself <laughs> on the toilet floor. I mean, I just, how do you guys, and I know it's wrong to say, and I know you should never tell that, but there are things that some people will excel at and some people just will never get there. And I know that's a, probably completely opposite what you guys want to talk about, but do you know what I'm trying to say? Is like, how, how do you either let somebody know or how do people kind of get let themselves understand that just you know what th th this just isn't for me and I need to find a new 
sport I want to play other than pushing a bobsled, you know? Just. I'm sorry, was that just a weird question? No, no, no. I think it's a legitimate one. I think for us in my community, that's what selection is for. Yeah. But even before there, I will tell you, everybody asks me, like, how'd you get through it? And it's always remember why you're doing it because there are going to be times that it sucks. And if you just say, in that moment, this sucks so bad that I can't see anything further, then you're going to fail. But I will come back to, you got to have, there's got to be something in your personality that, one, has put you into that place. Um, You know, you, your personality was you were bouncing off walls. And so I think that was a good progression for you. But specifically Special Forces, there's a selection process. And nine times out of ten, people self-select. And so they will already select themselves out of the process before the instructors even say, hey, look, we don't think you got what it takes. Um, And I think a big portion of that, as I'm going to come back to it, it's not so much planning, but it's preparation. And um, what you were saying earlier, and Brett was commenting on it too, and even Bill, you were already preparing like to be in those environments through either weightlifting, dunking, whatever you want to say. You may not have been like following a rigid plan, but I do think that you were preparing. And so coming back to our world, guys were not prepared to come where they were. They were not they were not setting themselves up for success. success and yeah. so they would self-select and they'd be out week one. Yeah. So I don't know if See, that... Because in, in our world, uh, there's, we don't really have a self-select process, you know, or a selection process, not a self-select, but a selection process. And that's what's hard. And I always find it real difficult because there's some people that come in and they want to be a mascot and they're like asking questions and how do I do this and how do I do that? And I'm sending them information. They go to these mascot camps but you you know and deep in your heart you're like it will never happen and i feel bad but you're always like no keep going do this yeah. you know and you, you're trying to pump them up but you know you just see it you're like it will never happen because they don't have that what's they just don't have that x factor yeah yeah but i, I think you see that in everyday life and where you see it probably the most is with parents with their kids in sports or something else right yes i want my kid to go to the nfl or the nba or to be a professional soccer player and you can look at some of those kids on the field and you're like that kid does not have what it takes to be at that level but at that same point they still have to go through some of their process to eventually self-select themselves out of it Mm -hmm. and find something they might be better at you know and and that is what it is you know i thought I was going to be a doctor when I was in college and I self-selected myself out of that real quick because I didn't want to go to 35 years of medical school you know it's 36 um, years yeah 36 years so um you know but again it's just something that you can't control that you know it's I'm not going to go and tell Brett that he can't or can't do anything he's going to eventually try it for himself and figure out on his own that that's just not something that's going to work for him I, no I agree I think going back to the whole uh like what what you want to do with your life is I think what's hard right now in society is parents I think (laughs) kids can't decide for themselves what they want to be because they're too worried about what their parents want them to be and and I think um, because I've there's just been I've just heard of a lot of kids that have hurt themselves or and stuff like that because they're not living up to their parents expectations And, and I think 
you know, it's so wrong because they need to live up to their own expectations and have their own expectations, and the parents just need to support them. Yeah. But I think that's one thing. I don't even know why I went on this topic, but it's just like I just I'm so passionate because I remember watching my kids play, and I would hear parents on the sidelines freaking out at their kids, and I was just like, you know, I wish one of you guys were there just. To <laughs> that's one of the reasons we stopped doing a lot of tournaments we, yeah. we, we did a lot of tournaments but parents would be on their kids and didn't give them any positive feedback about right. how well their kids were doing I could see miles of improvement right and things that they'd overcome and their parents would be mad because they didn't get the gold medal it's yeah. like your kid came to us you know eight months ago and couldn't even walk it on the floor they were so scared now they're competing for medals at tournaments and doing things that they've never done before and you're going to berate your kid for not getting a gold medal at this you know local tournament hmm you ever wonder why your kid maybe has got so many so much anxiety yep. and these other things it's like if you know if we could all see paper probably the way that we screw up our kids but as somebody who deals with kids a lot and their parents it's like i know pulled myself out of that environment and that's why we started focusing much, much more on leadership, communication, and other things, and less on competition, and creates a whole different atmosphere. I, Not that competition is bad. I love competition, but forcing kids to compete too soon when a parent's driving them is a is, doesn't work. And there's so many countries around the world now that are like, don't do that. America hasn't caught on to some of the things that's going on in other countries, where they're now starting to catch us in so many sports arenas and stuff. It's kind of amazing. I, I think you hit it with the parents wanting them to win the gold. And like we were talking earlier, you know, looking 10 steps ahead. And then you said, you know, connecting the dots is parents are only going to be happy if you get here instead of being happy with you taking the, you know, oh, you found the first dot. And then I'm going to be happy when you make the next connection and, and following the path. But they immediately, like you said, want them to be in the NFL. And I'm not going to be happy for you or about anything unless you get there. And I just think that we're, we put so much pressure on kids for that. Yeah. So. You know, I, I do think there's a valuable lesson in teaching kids, if you want something, then there's behavior that yep. you have to exhibit to get it. Now, you may not make it, right? but if you want something, then you got to put in the time. And this comes mm -hmm. back to earlier what I was saying about prep. But um, I think that's an important thing not to be confused with, yeah, you want to achieve this and, you know, let's do this. But, you know, if, if there are things they want to achieve, I think it's important to understand or to teach them, hey, you want this? This is the behavior it takes. If you veer off, you know, it's up to it's up to chance after that. Right. And even then, if you're on a direct path, you may not make it. Right. So I agree. And I, but I think people get they get confused with what support is mm -hmm. and what they're, you know, like living their glory days through their child. Yeah. And and I, I agree with you, is is as long as the parents are supporting them but not making them feel bad because like, I think a lot of kids feel like they're letting their parents down and mm -hmm. I don't know. And I, I just, I think, you know, uh, it's, it's all about the support and knowing that no matter what happens, you know, it's okay mm -hmm. because, you know, we're, we're here to help you and, and guide you. But I, I think a lot of parents miss that. So true that that's probably a good point. We got to take a little break, pause for the cause. Uh, Bad Brad's giving us the finger again, so we'll uh, <laughs> be back in just a minute with John. And I won't even say his last name because now I'll just get wrong. So I've heard worse. I've heard worse. Life can change in an instant. 
When a stroke steals the life you know, it's more important than ever to find the strength to rise up. As a survivor, don't watch the world pass you by. A beautiful next chapter may be waiting for you if you try. We're here to share real stories, resources, and tips to help you on your road to recovery. You're strong, capable, taking life's changes head on. You deserve to say to the world, don't count me out. Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away and with it, my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com, and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. I'm author Richard Paul Evans. 20 years ago, we created the Christmas Box House to protect and care for abused and neglected children. Did you know we've protected more than 125,000 children? That's enough to fill every seat in both the University of Utah and BYU football stadiums. Did you know we've been helping the victims of human trafficking for more than 20 years, long before people were even talking about it? Did you know that last year alone, we served almost 9,000 children, providing 12,000 days of care? That's more than 32 years of care in the last 12 months. Did you know that with more than 700 volunteers, we provided Christmas for nearly 3,000 at-risk children? Did you know that we need your help to do all this? This pandemic has been hard on everyone, but especially these children. If you or your business would like to help through donations or volunteering, we'd love to meet you. Find the Christmas Box House online and go to our website. And thank you for caring. All right, and we're back with John Abzi. I got it right. Thank you so I much. Nailed it, because Bill's over. And you only have one ab, so it's made one. it easy. So yeah, there we go. <laughs> not, not having the suit has really hindered my ability to <laughs> to maintain weight. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so. so we've we've talked a lot of great stuff, and, and it's it's obviously been a lot of fun. Tell us what you're doing now, because you're not in the suit anymore. Uh, you're yeah. not with the jazz organization anymore. Nope. Uh, you're on to bigger and better things, obviously. Tell us about what you're doing with uh, the company you work for now, and I want to talk a little bit, I know we all want to talk a little bit about the charities and things that you're doing and how uh, our team might be able to help your team. If there's oh, something we awesome. can do, we want to do that. Thank you very much. Um, 
No, you know, because <clears throat> so when I got out, I, I took that year uh, off, and I just I wanted to prove to myself that you know I could still be uh, able to help and, and benefit some charities because I really did feel that you know without the suit, I wasn't able to mm -hmm. to be as effective, and um, <clears throat> it actually I feel like I'm more effective, uh, and I'm actually enjoying it more because now I can actually talk to people and. You know, when you go up to a, a kid, I don't have to just be a mute and, and, and pat him on the head and then leave. I can actually get down and talk to him and, and find out more about them. And then uh, I got hired on with uh, Alinko Costumes, mm -hmm. and I uh, was looking at trying to purchase it. And I thank you, Terry Allen, for letting me wait <laughs> <laughs> because we were like, okay, I'm going to buy this. And then uh, they're the ones who made... Uh, my character, my costume, and then they make about 60% of all the sports characters in the country. And uh, we were going to buy it last year, and then COVID hit. And then we talked about, oh, we'll, we'll look at this again <laughs> when it when it goes away. Well, July came around, and sports went away, and I was just like, oh, man. So, yeah, this is going the wrong direction. <laughs> so now we're back at it. We're going to hopefully do this. So, um, And then uh, just doing, you know, um, Andy Chud and I uh, started a, a group called Working for Charities. Uh, what we did is we... Er, and what I saw and what he saw is that we, we noticed that a lot of charities come in and then they end up going away after two or three years. They fail. It's just a lot of it is just because they don't have enough knowledge about uh, how to do events and how to raise money and stuff like that. So th we started this charity, or not charity group, but we started this working for charities so that we could educate these charities and we would be a resource for them um, to give them help. And uh, we put together a networking group just before COVID and it was it was awesome. We had donors and businesses that wanted to help out charities, and we had a bunch of charities show up, and we were just, you know, sharing ideas. We had speakers and singers so that charities could go, hey, we have an event coming up. Can you come speak at our mm -hmm. event? Um, and it worked great, and then COVID hit, so we haven't had one since. But we want to bring it back, and uh, what we want to do is create a kind of a super group, um, a two-part, one to help the charities, and another of a kind of a super group where about four times a year um, because – with a charity, the, the, the best asset you can is connections. You know, charities function on who people know and, and the connections they have. And uh, we want to create this group so that we can look at a charity or an event or a situation and be able to just dominate it and do the best we possibly can with, sure. you know, as many people as we can. So that's where we're at right now. So is there a website somebody can go to or just... Yeah. If, yeah. if you're looking for, like with Alinko Costumes, if, if you're looking for face masks um, and or, you know. Let's be clear. We're not just talking about yes, yes, mascot face. You're talking about COVID, COVID masks. masks. Yep, yeah, COVID masks. So with Alinko Costumes, we have mascots. We have COVID masks. We can do promotional items, apparel, flags, uh, stuff like that. And you can just go to AlinkoCostumes.com for that. And then for working for charities, you can just go to WorkingForCharities.com as well. Sure. and look at our website and you can volunteer we have a volunteer spot for oh, excellent. people to go in and volunteer and then we can direct you to a, a charity that you might be passionate about okay so people looking to volunteer you send them to an appropriate charity that could utilize their skill set yep. or whatever it is they want to do yep okay excellent and if somebody wants to uh, follow you in your world what, you know what's the easiest way you know is it you got a website, follow you on social media. Show up at my house, follow me at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> Tail me. Okay. might work. I think there are so, laws against that. Yeah, I was going to say stalkers are us. No, I'm, I'm not a big social media guy. I mean, I guess I got Facebook and stuff, but I don't really, I just put quotes. 
okay. I just, I don't really do so. Like, I never did social media. That was another thing. Is everybody else talked about social media and how we need it and how you know your only character, the only way your character can be successful is to have social media. And I never had it till the day I, till the day I quit. And then I got it two months after I quit, but more for just personal stuff. Gotcha. So, gotcha. I think social media. Yeah. I should be. Sal, are you a social media guy? Trying to learn. He's, he's working on it. Yeah. It's <laughs> tough. I feel like it's a time sucker. Yeah, it definitely can be. Bill, you look at it on the toilet. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm trying to maximize every moment of the day. <laughs> does, does, does anybody have any other questions for John before we uh, let him out of this chair? We've, we've kept him for quite a while. His wife and kids are probably missing him. I, I just got a quick question, just a curiosity, and we don't have to get there. What did you do in the military? I was a forward observer. Right on. I was fist. So, and, and just like you, I know that some crazy stories, you know, with uh, one of those moments where you have a guardian angel that things happen, you are like, how did nobody die? <laughs> yeah, tell everyone what that means. Yeah. Uh, well, go ahead. It's no, go ahead. You do it. No, you're gonna, no, you were, <laughs> this was a long time ago. You guys want to scrap it out? No, no. For no. no. <laughs> those of you out there in Limitless Land that don't know, um, John basically sat in a hole by himself or maybe one other person for hours and days at a time. So that's a, the gist of his, his role. Um, and he was to give everybody advance notice if any movements or enemy movements, stuff like that. But um, I don't know. How many Ziploc baggies did you have? <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I'm still a little scarred from that. No, you know what? The question is, were you the holder of the Ziploc bag? <laughs> no, that was not. Actually, MRE boxes, when you put them together, oh, they make go. actually a good toilet when there you cut you the go. top. But uh, the... I, I just the, the best part about it, and you know, this was uh, Colin Artillery. I mean, it was like, it was like a video game, you know, because you, you'd you'd hear it shoot off, and and if it was directly behind you, it was just kind of a weird feeling because you'd hear this flying over, and then you'd see where it blew up, and then all you did was adjust the the round to try and hit the target, and but uh, it, it was a ton of fun. It was it really was, except for like you said. You really felt lonely <laughs> because you were so because they have people looking for us because if they can get us then the artillery doesn't have eyes so it was a yeah i felt like you were just kind of cat and mouse all the time so it's crazy it was fun well john unless we have something else we're gonna let you go we really appreciate you being here with no, like thanks for having me on you guys this was a ton of fun however we can help you with your quest your pursuits i think everybody even will speak for mark who's you know it's off teaching, but um, we're here to help if we can help you and be Deal. a benefit to you and what Same you're doing. for me. If I can please let us know. And with that being said, this is another episode of Operation Limitless. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or want to recommend a guest to us, send us uh, an email at uh, info at operationlimitless.com, operationlimitlessproject.com. Excuse me. Uh, and we'll until next time. We'll see you soon. Have a great day. Ciao. Peace.